Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, we really get to meet a lot of cool people on the show. Um, and, you know, when I first started doing it a few years ago, I always have this fear when you're a content creator, like, what if you just run out of things to talk about or people to, you know, uh, publicize? But thank God. Um, there's a lot of great people in the world and in the from world specifically, and there's only 52 weeks of the year and we go on hiatus. So, so far, um, there seems to be enough interesting people to talk to and short stories to share. Um, and this particular story, which I would put into the stereotype defying and, you know, kind of kiddish Hashem space all in one, um, has to do with something that we saw, I think reported in the JTA around the Houston flood. Now, I think just because people's memories are so short and like the stuff that's been in the news recently is like all the horrible celebrity headlines that, you know, every day someone new, um, you know, gets uh, accused of something. I feel like the Houston flood seems almost like just another lifetime ago. But for anyone that lives in Houston, I'm sure that they are still in the midst of recovery and recuperation. And just because the rest of us have ADD doesn't mean that the pain or the, you know, getting back to normal happens so quickly. Um, but I think as a nation, you know, I haven't heard too much about Houston in a few months because we have gotten distracted. But the story came onto our radar. We saw an article about this woman named uh, Miriam Ballin, who is the founder and director of the psychotrauma unit of United Hatsala. Um, and she is a Haredi woman. And she um, came to Houston with a team in order to help out in a pretty unique way. And we were so curious to learn more and so excited to have her on the show today. So, Miriam, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so, I guess if we could kind of start back from where you started from, and then I think actually that question actually leads us full circle to where you ended up this recent Houston thing. I just gave it away. I'm a horrible host. Um, so, tell us, where are you from? How did you grow up, um, you know, in terms of your Jewish background? Um, okay, so I'm originally from Houston, Texas, which is part of what led me to want to go back there to be able to help out with the relief efforts later on. Um, I did live in several other places. We moved around a lot. I lived in San Francisco. I went to high school in New York. I came to Israel for a gap year program. I went to a few places in between until I was uh, kidnapped by my husband to Australia to live there, where he's from, while he was in medical school. Um, I grew up with uh, a lot of Jewish values. Um, I wouldn't call it completely and entirely religious. My father was a secular Israeli from uh, from Beersheba, whose parents survived the Holocaust, and my mother was a, um, a very, very spiritual woman from New England, from Providence, Rhode Island, who met him there in Israel, and then they came to Texas. Um, I was raised with a lot of love for Israel, a lot of love for the people of Israel, um, but they were also very encouraging of me learning more and more about my history, my Judaism, and thank God I found the right people to be able to direct me um, in the way of religious Orthodox Judaism. And when, what, like when and why did you make that path from um, a more secular life to a more observant one? Um, well, I was exposed to a lot, living in Houston, Texas, and then later on in San Francisco. So I definitely did have, uh, really, the chance to be able to get to take in the good, the bad, and everything in between. Um, and I think that it's ironic, in a way, that I went to San Francisco, which you could call one of the, you know, one of the cities that has a lot of uh, very unholy things going on on a regular basis. 
and that was actually where I found holiness. Um, the right teachers, the right mentors happened to be there, I guess, brought in specifically for me and gave me the chance it's to be able to learn with them and grow. And then they supported I mean, me I think San Francisco specifically has um, like a higher intermarriage rate than the rest of the country. So, um, you know, I think really it's not known at all as a, a place of, you know, sort of uh, Jewish growth, but I guess you know, Hashem finds a way, um, if, if it's meant to be. So, totally. uh, and so, um, all right. So that's like a little about your, your Jewish journey. Um, what about, um, the, the medic journey? Um, were you always, okay. so as I said, I got kidnapped to Australia where my husband was in medical school. While he was in medical school, I was, I was teaching. My degree was in psychology and education and mm-hmm. he had joined the local Hatsala in Sydney, Australia, and he was doing great things there, working as a medic, as a volunteer, going out saving lives. He used to come back with this amazing smile, this amazing face, every time he'd have a successful CPR. And I guess over time I became a bit jealous. And I really very much wanted to be able to join him in his efforts. But the organization at that time was not having women participate in actual life-saving. They did give me the chance to be a dispatcher, and I was able to receive the calls and mobilize units to be able to provide the immediate physical care. But I didn't get to be an active medic. And when we finally came to Israel, it was my our dream together to be able to make Aliyah and live here. And when we did that after he finished medical school, the first thing he did was join up with Hatzalah here, United Hatzalah. And then I asked as well if I would be able to. And they said, sure, of course. We love to have women because we treat many women. And it would be a great thing. Uh, <laughs> to have religious women in Jerusalem was still something that wasn't done as much, just because of stereotypes and a lot of history and some politics and whatnot, but if you work sensitively and appropriately to be able to uh, to do things correctly, which is what we did, we were able to be successful. We spoke to the rabbis, we worked with them, and everybody agreed that at the end of the day, to have women treating women or even women treating somebody in need, whether it's a woman or a man, is really totally and completely acceptable, and as long as it's done sensitively and appropriately, they gave us their blessing. So this now is, I don't even know that I'm going to start to have these questions, but now I'm, of course, thinking about uh, Judge Rochi Fryer and what she got started with, Ezra's Nashim. So is your, yeah, yeah, is your, um, are the women who serve in Hatzal in Israel, is it in the same unit as men or is it, um, okay, so side by side. In the United Hatzal of Israel, we definitely have the women working together with the men in the same capacity. There is a specific women's unit as well for Orthodox women that would like to only treat women. They do have that option, but you also are allowed to treat uh, men and women just like anybody else if you'd like to do that as well. Got it. And how long ago did, how how long have women been serving in in, um, Hatzalah in Israel? Really for several years now all around Israel. In Jerusalem is it's kind of where I pioneered the the women partaking more uh, in the last few years, I'd say about since uh, four years ago. So you're like the Ruchi Friar of Israel, basically. <laughs> That's a huge compliment and a lot to live up to. But yeah. <laughs> um, she, yeah, she, she is great. Okay, but I didn't realize that there was sort of a similar, um, I mean, kind of a similar time frame to Ezra's Nashim and a sort of a similar, um, you know, journey, it seems like. Um, so that, that's really fascinating. And, you know, we obviously love when more opportunities are open. Um, it just also just seems so obvious, like, why couldn't a woman do this? Um, so just because it hadn't been done before, like, why, why can't it be done if there's nothing against, you know, halacha maso or anything like that? So, um, kola kavod totally, for, for doing I that. mean, I, I could tell you time and time again that I've come to scenes of, uh, like, say, a Hasidic man, you know, 
in dire need of medical attention, and not once has he ever said, no, no, you're a woman, it's okay, I'd rather die. <laughs> Every right, man exactly. and woman in need who's in a vulnerable state needing medical attention is happy to see the face of any medic, no matter who they are, where they come from, whether it's myself or one of my my uh, Arab, uh, Arab medics from East Jerusalem or one of the Druze medics from the North or one of the Christian medics from down the road. It's, all of us are really in it to do the exact same thing. Yeah, then no atheists in a foxhole and no, I guess, like extremists in a foxhole either, I guess. <laughs> um, when you're in trouble, you, you need help from wherever you can get it. So you spearheaded this um, psychotrauma unit in United Hazala. So do you act as a regular medic as well or um, is only in the psychotrauma unit? And then also if you could explain to us what a psychotrauma unit is. For sure, for sure. So I was working as a medic for about a year. My husband also remembers a volunteer as a doctor, a physician. So the two of us would get babysitters to go out to calls instead of the fancy restaurant to be able to really just, like, buff calls around Jerusalem and save lives. That was our uh, romantic night out. And I was doing that for about a year when I actually had a personal story in which I was hit by a motorcycle when crossing oh the street. And when I was hit by the motorcycle, I went went to the hospital, and they did all the routine checkups, and thank God everything came out okay. I was just bumped and bruised, but when I came back, I went to go say thank you to the amazing people that helped me that day. There were store shopkeepers and neighbors and witnesses that all had tried to help in some capacity. And what I saw was something very shocking, that every single one of them was suffering emotionally from having witnessed my accident. But I told mm. them, I'm here, I'm talking to you, I'm okay. I see a lot of very bad endings, and thank God my story was not one of those bad endings. And... I realized that really we have an amazing response around the country in United Hatella. Ninety seconds, you've got a medic on scene at any, any medical emergency, but we don't mm. have a, a psychological or emotional uh, response of any sort. And that was basically my goal to design something like that, be mm. able to create a specialized unit of people that would be able to provide immediate on-scene psychological stabilization. And we built an amazing unit of psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, therapists that are now on call, just like a medic would be on call. To, to be able to provide a different type of um, support, not physical, but emotional. Um, some of the different things that we do on scene, for example, would be, number one, just building a safe place for this person to feel what they're feeling, um, being able to normalize the situation and their reaction to it, because their reaction, no matter what it may be, is really a normal reaction to an abnormal situation, um, to be able to give them a bit of psychoeducation about what they're feeling and why they're feeling it, what to expect later on, Obviously, provide them with resources, phone numbers, and organizations that they could reach out to later on if they would be feeling not better but worse, and to really build them a support network of people that are willing to take responsibility for their emotional welfare, whether it be family members, a rabbi, the hospital, uh, the municipality, social services, whatever it may be. Uh, unfortunately, our specialties have become suicides and sudden infant death syndrome, and of course, terror attacks here in Israel. Um, and I'm, I'm proud to say that we get to the scene in less than 10 minutes of any of those situations around Israel, and we're there to back up our medics, to be able to be there with that mother that's watching the CPR on her child, mm -hmm. be there mm -hmm. with that medic, even if it's the medic himself suffering because he found somebody uh, after they tried to kill themselves, um, and to be able to be there, support them, hold their hand, um, connect to them, and be able to uh, get them to do what they need to do at that time, however sad it may be whether it's preparing a funeral or it's speaking to, uh, you know, the police, the investigators, to be able to be there with them uh, without an agenda, without judging them, and to be able to advocate for them so that they get to make the decisions that they want to make and to really just be able to 
put a tiny little bit of comfort into what could be potentially the worst day of their life. Hmm. You know, as you're talking about this, this is reminding me a few years ago, I picked up my kid from camp and there was a child that was like hiding under my car and I did not know there was a child under there and I started to back my car up and I saw a couple of the adults there realize there was a child under my car um, start to wave their hands violently, violently at me um, and I didn't know like what was happening, so I stopped the car and I started to roll forward. And they also started waving their hands violently at me. And when I stopped the oh car, like, a child, like I don't know, had been like in between the wheels and like <laughs> crawled out. And I, like I suffered like wow. the worst migraine I ever had that day. I was seeing like flashes of light, and um, that was a really traumatic sure. experience to you know a to normal thank God reaction for to an abnormal situation. Yeah. Um, so. You know, as you're talking about the the psychological trauma that comes around, and no, nothing even happened, meaning the kid, thank God, was completely okay, just sort of the gravity of knowing that if the kid had been a few inches over one way or the other, like, I, God forbid, could have run a child mm-hmm. over. Um, it was so um, you know, overwhelming. I think that's really what connects most people to this idea in general, that everybody on some level has experienced a trauma or something potentially traumatic that affected them in some way, shape, or form. And that's why, like, I think everyone I speak to can just identify so much with this. And it's like, well, why didn't we have this up until now? Why didn't every EMS organization in the entire world have this type of response up until now? Um, Because the work that we do and the results that we see, the letters, the emails, the feedback, seeing that mother, just this morning we were at the home of a four-year-old that didn't wake up this morning. And to see a mother, when you drive her to the hospital, and she knows that she's with somebody that understands what's going on and is able to give her insight into her child's situation and is there to stay with her and is not going to leave her, the eyes tell you everything. And when they look at you, you know that you're doing something. But up until now, you can't even imagine how it wasn't done. So is there any plans to bring this to like other parts of the world? So I'm very excited to say that we're now all across Israel completely and entirely covering the country. Amazing. And we do actually share our model in general, uh, community-based volunteers, medical services around the world in many different countries. And mm-hmm. it's a component that we're going to add to the different countries that we're already working together with. Um, Panama, New Jersey, uh, we have in Mexico, uh, different all over Europe, Ukraine, we're working there. So we will definitely add this component into where we're already existing. And there are a lot of different EMS organizations that have reached out to us to be able to understand the model, learn the model, and to duplicate it in some in some way. We obviously now, just took the psychological Are you, are you reaching out only, I'm saying we, only to other Hatzalas or to any, like I'm saying, non-Jewish and just regular EMS? No, any well? EMS organization around the world. Okay, got yeah. it. Um, we opened oh, sorry, up a clinic and a hotline as well for our medics as well, so we're not just doing psychological work outside but as well. Inside as well, we have 3,500 medics in United Hatala. We're not a small organization, so hmm. we have to make sure to look out for our own guys who see hard things on a day-to-day basis also. And what about, like, anyone so in the we- medical field? I'm saying, like, or any, I feel like any mental health professional also, like, doesn't the, does the psychologist also need, you know, some someone to check in on them? I feel like for the people that are hearing about the traumatic stuff, is that, I'm saying, is that something for to sure. expand into? Yeah. We have, we have really, really strict self-care protocols for all of our social workers, psychologists, and uh, psychiatrists, because 
we know that we're exposing them to very significant traumas on a regular basis. Understandably, they're coming home with a really good feeling usually that they contributed, so that helps them um, cope with what they saw. But we do have self-care protocols like mandatory write-ups, get-togethers, debriefs, uh, partners, check-ins, all sorts of systems in which we hope that they'll be able to uh, be looked out for as well. Hmm. Um, and what else did I want to ask you? Um, and so I want to also just talk about Houston as well. So how did, you know, coming to Houston come about? Was this the first time that you had gone to another country to actually serve them locally as opposed to teaching the protocol to the local people? Like what made this happen? Okay. So Houston was an amazing story. I was following the story very closely being that I'm from there. And when I was looking at the news online, my husband said, wow, you should really be there. So what do you mean I should be there? I have five kids under the age of eight. I need to be here. <laughs> and he said, no, you need to be there. You have an amazing specialized unit that can actually provide a really special level of care that people might not be providing there, and you should be there. And that exact moment, I got a phone call from the organization. We have sent international missions, um, medical missions around the world in the past. But this was the first time that we were going to be sending a psychotrauma unit out to an international mission. And I went with another six people uh, to Houston the next day. And we originally planned to be able to contribute in the Jewish community there. And when we arrived to the Jewish community there, we were amazed to see how much support they already had. They had so much support from all over the country, from different communities, different synagogues, all sorts of people that had come out to help them. The Federation was doing unbelievable work. We were amazed. And then we got a phone call from the mayor, and he said, get out of Houston and go to a place called Port Arthur. Beaumont, Port Arthur, was at that point still suffering uh, immensely from the water. They were still saving people from rooftops. They were still seeing people floating along in air mattresses. It was like the way you saw it on the news, except it was like six days down the track, and this was still going on. So we went down there. It was a real, a real journey getting there. We drove through four feet of water. We had people stop us. They closed off roads. We used the old Israeli technique called chutzpah to be able to get there. And when we got there, we found uh, we found thousands of people gathering in the airport in Port Arthur, people that had lost their homes, people that were all by themselves. Over 50 coach buses were lined up when we got there waiting to drop off people to then be taken out by aircraft to Dallas. And the American Red Cross was amazing to us. They understood immediately what we had to offer. They valued it, and they integrated us fully into the triage uh, system that they had created in which people came down from the bus, they had a security check, they got a physical basic needs check, a medical check, and then we provided an emotional check where we were able to be there with them. We were the first people to actually listen to these people, to bear witness to what they had gone through. Um, and this meant so much to so many different people. We had a lot of people break down crying and just telling us their story. But it was also very inspiring. It wasn't just sad and devastating. It was inspiring to see people who had lost everything who were still able to smile and still able to move on and still had hope. Uh, people used faith as a very strong tool to be able to keep them going. People supported one another, and our team worked together not only with those people but also with the military services, with the paramedics, the airvac units that were coming and going for over seven days and had not had anyone tell them thank you. Day and night, their boots were literally soaking wet from days and days in the water. Um, and we worked together with them, and it was unbelievably fulfilling work that we did there. Uh, when we went to Dallas at the end of our trip, we actually met a few of the same people, which is highly unlikely in a in a stadium of 10,000 people to meet a few of the same people. And it was almost like Hashem wanted us to come full circle 
and show these people that they meant so much to us that we met them on the other side. I think it was a huge Kiddush Hashem. I think that it was amazing for people to see just that people came all the way from Israel to be there for them and to help them. Yeah. They couldn't believe that. They couldn't get their head around the fact that we came all the way from Israel. Did um, they associate you as Israelis, or did they associate you as ultra-Orthodox? Because I happen to love that the JTA article called you this Haredi woman, blah, 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 because usually when someone <laughs> does something good, they're just a person or Jewish, and when they do something bad and, like, break the law, then they're Haredi. So I'm so glad that the JTA called you out <laughs> of being Haredi, but did the locals in Texas have enough sort of knowledge or understanding that, like, that you guys so were religious Arthur, Jews? Most of the people that we were meeting actually had never met a Jew in their life, so they didn't wow. really know anything about Judaism. We were also a very mixed group. We had within the group, we had secular Jews, Orthodox Jews, modern Orthodox Jews, ultra-Orthodox Jews. We had all types of people in the group itself. Uh, We even had a rabbi with us uh, who happens Mm -hmm. to be an amazing therapist as well. So, I mean, nobody necessarily associated us as being Orthodox. Some Some of them associated us as Jewish, and most of them associated us as the people of Israel. Okay, close enough. I mean, I guess if we're dealing with, I mean, I guess if they don't know Jews too much, then it's sort of probably just a really giant lump. So um, what happens when they're in the group? Meaning like, so you have like these just hordes of people that are coming by one by one and are sort of, you're debriefing them, you're hearing your story. Can you tell right away this person just needs to talk for a little bit and they're going to be better? And then like, oh God, this person is really not doing well. Now we're going to do X. Like what are the different sort of pipelines you send them down when you talk to them after the, you know, the traumas happened? So, firstly, we have a few different items that, like, are very helpful to them near us so that they'll feel like we're providing them with some of what, something that they need and that, that we have a certain level of, we have a certain ability to provide a level of safety for them um, that makes them feel safe and they want to sit with us. Uh, once they sit with us and we talk to them, we're usually, we're not given much time, so we really have to, you know, use our time wisely uh, we usually want to be able to understand if there was something really significantly traumatic that took for them, or if just the story in general was hard. For most people, just the story in general was difficult. But when we would meet somebody that would describe something truly devastating, like one very large incident in the whole few days taking place, that was something that we would explore with them, and we would see if we felt like they were in a safe position to continue onward. And if we felt that they were at risk, for example, some people uh, express the, want, the desire to uh, commit suicide or not to want to go on any further or to just let go, some of the elderly people would say. So if we assess that, then we would then uh, refer them to the American Red Cross social workers to be able to look out for them a bit further, and then mm-hmm. they would be able to make the decision later on. Um, so we were really in immediate triage, um, and most people just wanted someone to listen to them and just wanted to get to share their story. And they felt so much better after they did that, and that gave them the strength to get to the next step. But there were a few people that we did have to refer to uh, follow-up care. Hmm. So as I'm talking, I have, like, all these sort of ideas now swirling in my head. Um, You know, our mission at Jew in the City started off originally to show the beauty of an observant Jewish life and all the good, you know, and all the bigger boxes that exist in the Orthodox world that most people don't know about that I didn't grow up knowing about. Um, and, you know, I think we've been, thank God, so successful in opening up these boxes to people outside the Orthodox world. 
what we stumbled upon a few years ago was that there were people living inside the Orthodox world that were in small boxes um, and that really had a negative um, sort of experience with Judaism. Judaism, unfortunately, used as a weapon um, and all the things they couldn't do and all the things that weren't allowed. And one of the theories that's been floated around to me from people of, you know, the ex-religious community, particularly the ex-Hasidic community is the space that we've kind of heard from the most, either the most in anger, like how dare you say it's good, it was so bad, or from them, um, it looks so much better, how you're having it more open, it was so close for me. So an idea that was floated around was um, that for a lot of this community, they lived under the shadow of the Holocaust. And I'm thinking like how amazing it is um, that you guys are here for in trauma to, you know, let people talk, let them get it out, you know, and start to heal like that. And how I think, you know, the more insular the communities got, the more the idea was don't say anything, don't talk about it, keep it in. I mean, that may have also happened in, you know, the secular world as well. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, is that anything mm-hmm. that you've thought about, like sort of previous Jewish traumas throughout history? And we can go far back to pogroms and the Inquisition and all things like that. But, um, like, and do you have any thoughts on this topic? Because I've been doing a lot of thinking about, like, what dysfunction has that led to, sort of generations of not talking about our pain and keeping it built up. Well, we see this a lot culturally um, here in Israel when we go to these different types of calls and how people express their grief and how people react. So on a regular basis, we see, you know, people from different types of communities and even from the ultra-Orthodox community being very scared to react, being very scared to receive help being very scared to open up and to discuss that which they're feeling. Um, and I can understand, you know, where that comes from. But I think that one of the beautiful things that we do is really give those people the chance to talk, to understand that it's safe to talk, it's okay to talk, and that not everybody is out there uh, to judge them or to derive, you know, what they're all about. There are people that are there to do good, to be good, to provide them with um, just, you know, goodness and that to them is sometimes like a whole new a whole new understanding that they they never even understood before and I think that our group of people has done an amazing job in changing stereotypes and being able to uh, change preconceived notions being able to really give people um, a little bit of light in what could have really just been like I said before the worst day of their life or the biggest tragedy they ever faced but they be, they're able to provide like that little that shed of that ray of light that gives those people when they come out and they're recovering from that traumatic incident the ability to reflect and look back and remember, hey, that woman in a wig, I never liked women in wigs, but right. she came and she stayed with me and she sat with me and she held my hand. Perhaps women in wigs aren't so bad after all, right. and that makes me feel very warm and fuzzy inside when I know that we've done something like that, and I'm seeing it on a day-to-day basis. Love it. Totally. It's our mission. Um, So thank you so much for being an ambassador and uh, helping move forward. We have about um, two minutes left, and I have a question that I meant to ask before. That's what I couldn't think of. And when you're, you know, recording live, you sometimes forget what you want to say while you're saying it. How do you know how big the net is when um, a trauma happens, like meaning, terror attack happens in the middle of the street. I was actually almost went to Sparrow's the day of the bombing. We decided to eat somewhere else, but I was in, you know, oh we God. chose a restaurant two blocks away, um, but I was there when the boom went off and we were running and didn't know which direction to run in. Um, how wow. do you know how far, you know, the net has been cast in terms of people that saw something or, you know, felt upset after, you know, something blows up? 
So we, we face this issue all the time where we'll ask our medics that are on scene, we'll say, okay, do you need the psychotrauma unit? And they'll say, oh, no, no need for the psychotrauma unit. It just happened yesterday in a kindergarten where a baby choked and was uh, unconscious. And they say, no, we don't need anybody here. They're all okay. They're all okay. Really, it comes down to being able to look out and knowing what to look for. And part mm -hmm. of our training is being able to triage and understand how many people and what people need our type of help that we can provide. And the different people look different. <laughs> and some people are yelling and screaming in hysteria, and some of the people are in silent terror and are totally unable to speak at all. But we're able to identify those people in need, um, and we're able to bring them towards us, away from the traumatic scene, and remove them from that incident so they're not watching it ongoingly, because often that's what ends up happening. And you have people just looking and looking and looking at that traumatic incident, which obviously can only do bad and not good. And when we get them out of the way, we're able to work with them. And sometimes they'll even tell us about others. Oh, my sister ran that way. Or, oh, my friends are down there. And they'll help us identify more people. We try to work with them and, uh, and do the best that we can. Those people obviously are children of parents and parts of communities and live in cities. And I really believe that the ripple effect of helping those individuals helps the whole ripple effect of their communities, cities, the country at large. Awesome. Well, um, really, you should have a lot of Hatzlacha in, in helping people um, and spreading the light and, you know, spreading the positivity and representing the Orthodox community and specifically ultra-Orthodox community so positively. Um, and um, thank you so, so much. that we got to hear, you, hear your story. Um, and thank you all for listening. And you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.